I like ease our way in. That sounds kind of a little sexual. Suggestive. <laughs> Kind of his way in. <laughs> I've written that exact line. Exactly. See, we know what we're doing. <laughs> Hasn't every romance writer? There's oh, only. Yeah. So. It's like the conversation with Elizabeth Everett. Like, there's only so many ways to say <laughs> mm-hmm. certain That's things. True. Yep. Oh well. Welcome to Romance or TBR. It is I, us. We're kicking it right off with some innuendo. <laughs> <laughs> Just jumping right into it thrusting right into the thick of it um i'm your your faithful host caroline Uh, i am your unfaithful host hannah (laughs) faithful and unfaithful and then we have a wonderful very exciting Uh, guest that we are so excited to have on with us today so alexandra do you want to say hello hello hi i'm alexandra vasti um i am the author of the halifax hellions novellas which are free through my newsletter the third one will be coming out sometime in the next couple months. Oh. Uh, and my debut novel is coming out next year, probably in May. We're inching toward having a release date. Um, it's called Ne'er Duke Well, and it's coming out with St. Martin's Press. Oh, so oh. exciting. I mean, we are big fans of the Hel- uh, the Halifax Hellions. Mm-hmm. We did a whole episode. Thank so you can go you. back and listen to that episode if you didn't, <laughs> listeners, and then go read the books. Or probably read them first. Read the novellas. Yeah. Sign up for the newsletter. Then go listen to the episode. Um, uh, you've you've taken Bookstagram by storm with those. You have. I have amazing. been really just super lucky and super grateful. People have been so nice and kind to share them, and it's been really fun to. Uh, yeah, it's the first time I've ever put you know my my creative my romance out there. So it's been really cool, and I feel very grateful. Yeah, I mean, I would love to hear a little bit about like. I assume you've been reading historical mm-hmm. romance. Or romance generally for a while a I long think. time a um so I would love to hear about like when you started like what got you mm-hmm. into writing is it something yeah. you've been doing for years and just now started publishing like what's, yes what's yes the and yes um yeah so I started reading romance when I was 11 um my wow. first romance <laughs> my first romance was Whitney my love which oh, I God. think wow are, yeah yeah <laughs> I, I, my reaction was both like, what did I just read? But also, is there more? Yeah. <laughs> no, please, please let there be more. <laughs> so uh, that's my romance origin story. You jumped um, into the deep end. I did. I, and you know what? My mother gave me that book. She's like, here, I think you'll like this, hun. And you know what? I did. She was not wrong. <laughs> like she was right. Was it questionable? Maybe. <laughs> but it was right. <laughs> but she was not incorrect at all. Yes, she's a big romance reader. Um, my grandmother, actually, both of my grandmothers are, are big romance readers, oh, although so one fun. is more spicy mm. in her tastes than the other. <laughs> so only one of my grandmothers is allowed to read my books. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I started reading romance and I pretty much just never stopped. Um, obviously, my first romance was historical romance with Whitney My Love, and I've just always loved historical romance. Um, so that's what I write. I've been writing forever. Um, my first, like I wrote my first romance, uh, novella when I was 14 and it was like a romantic suspense. Basically I wrote a lot of like Nora Roberts fan fiction. I would <laughs> <Yeah>. say. <laughs> like there was always an inn, there were like three brothers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I've been writing romance for a long time. Um, but it wasn't until after I finished my PhD in 2019 that I felt like I kind of had the, the skills that I wanted to write historical romance, which is my, mm-hmm. my first and abiding love. 
Um, so yeah, so 2019 was when I started writing historical romance. Um, and Ne'er Do Well was the first romance that I decided to try to get an agent um, and sell. And it, I was very lucky. It happened really fast, much faster than I was expecting. So I actually wrote that book first. And then just publishing is so slow. Like I sold yes. the book in November and I wasn't even allowed to mm -hmm. announce it until like February. So it was just like this long gap of like, mm -hmm. what do I do? You know, I was, I, so I, I wrote these novellas actually after Ne'er Do Well. Um, and have oh. them. yeah. So oh, there's like actually, they were inspired by like a completely random one-off line in Ne'er Do Well, where the main character is talking about um, like unsuitable debutantes and she's like well you know those Halifax twins are like terrible uh, and I and I so sort of like I, I love them actually <laughs> I love those terrible twins how do I tell their stories uh so that's where the idea for the novellas came from it's very it's giving me like Lisa Kleypas vibes where you get like a mention of a character and it's like oh they're, they're that's their book they're a part of a whole series. I love, <laughs> I love picking up Easter eggs in romance novels where they're, they're all interconnected. I eat it up. Good. So now I'm going to be reading Ne'er Duke Well, like looking for the, looking for the one, looking Halifax for the line, thing. looking yeah. for the Halifax. <laughs> I feel like we just got like some crazy insider information knowing that you wrote them after Ne'er Duke Well. Like that's, yeah. it makes sense to me. Like yeah. now that I'm thinking about it, like uh -huh. publishing kicking as long as it does, I'm like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, duh. I just didn't think mm -hmm. about it. But I love that. I'm very excited for that. Thank you. Well, and yeah, for the Winnie. line is in there. You will see oh. it. Oh, yeah. And Winnie, I'm really excited. So for anyone who hasn't read the novellas, um, the first two novellas are about a set of Hellion twins who go rogue <laughs> and go on a, <laughs> on a sort of just a wild adventure. And the two novellas happen um, at the same time. They're both road trip romances um, as one twin goes off to elope and the other twin goes off to stop her twin from eloping. <laughs> um, and... So they have an older brother who's sort of referenced in passing uh, several times and they can say, oh, he's in Wales. Oh, he's in Wales. Um, so when I decided to write um, a novella for the brother, I was like, well, what's he up to in Wales? So actually all three of the novellas are simultaneous. Um, I love that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but at the same time, um, it was it was so much torture trying to do it with the second novella that I decided to do it again. Uh, <laughs> I was like, well, that was awful. Let me what's try your, one more do you have like a timeline map? Somewhere? Oh, my God. It is ridiculous. Is it? <laughs> So, and and it's it's too much and like I'm positive no one is going to google like what day of the week was September 28th 1821 but if you do if you were to it would be correct in the books as it yeah. should be that's the level of research we need I feel like people do though like they do want that level of detail and yeah. someone well, will I, notice I have a calendar down to the day it's like October 12th monkey <laughs> Oh, you haven't read the monkey yet. It's in the new one. I'm ready. October 12th, monkey. Putting it on my calendar now. <laughs> just monkey. Just, so, yeah, no other note. Just monkey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I love that. I'm very excited. I'll be interested to see. Because I know Hannah and I each have our, like, we both love both the novellas, mm -hmm. but each of us has, like, a favorite twin that mm -hmm. we... Like I, I love that actually. No, I love that. I it tends to happen. We we found oh, yeah. we tend to be like opposites in things. Yeah. Like it's like we will either be like completely opposite and in no way go together, or like opposite on the same like coin, like two like yeah. faces of the We're same like, coin, you know? I like Matilda mm -hmm. and you like Margo. But mm -hmm. like mm, we still Yeah. Uh, 
Wow. Going back to um, your mother and grandmother like loving romance, I find that so fun because no one in my family really reads romance. I have like a few aunts who read, um, you know, general fiction, contemporary romance, I guess. But um, I just think that's so lucky to have that in your life because I think Caroline and I have talked about it before where we kind of found romance in a very solitary way. Um, and like, we didn't know where to go next and we didn't know like how to navigate the genre really. Um, you know, I found historical romance at a thrift store and I bought a bunch of them and then I didn't know, like, I didn't know that the sixth book in the Bridgerton series was the sixth book in the Bridgerton series. Like I had no clue what a romance series was or how they were interconnected with siblings and all of that. Um, so I read that and I was like, I don't know what else to read. I didn't think that there were any other ones like that. Right. Um, we and so it. it's, we discovered we, it. We, we, we had to find we and discovered the one historical romance. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so like, there are no others. <laughs> for us, it was really like creating the internet presence and finding other, you know, recommendations and stuff that way. So I always just get so jealous of people who have like a family connection to it. And then you get to like have things passed down. And it right. just my family so just lovely. judges me for it. Yeah, oh, no. my dad is my dad is a big history nerd, so he's like, "Why don't you just read history?" And I'm like, "Because I I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I do care, but like, I want something interesting. Right? I want like no. Beverly Jenkins to teach yeah. me history by telling me about two people falling in love. Right? No, I I love history, but I especially love history overlaid with a romance. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. please give it me so it much, all. So much better. I had a thought, yeah. and now it's gone. Oh no. <laughs> So how like, long ago way. was this that you guys like discovered romance or Only a few romance? years. Yeah. It's it's fairly recent. Yeah, I've 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 had a sort of funny experience because I when I announced my book deal, I sort of announced it to my like in, uh, you know under my real name, mm-hmm. <laughs> under my real like to my real people I really know, and I had all these people say, "Oh my god, like people I went to high school or not high school so much, but more college, mm-hmm. they like I love historical romance and like you know, a couple of them are like in our Facebook group and like reading along. And it's so funny because, you know, I just had no idea that these people were like yeah. romance readers. You know, it wasn't, I don't know. We just didn't, we didn't, we didn't talk about that enough, obviously. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't, it doesn't mm-hmm. come up. I feel like I know my yeah. internet friends that read it, but it's mm-hmm. when I meet somebody who reads it in person, I'm like, oh. And then just recently, Hannah and I are like, oh, we haven't read a ton of old school. Let's mm-hmm. do that. Let's force ourselves. Yay. So <laughs> here we are. <laughs> and how is it going so far i am very into old school i think is yeah i think my favorite so far for this is either indigo or lord of scoundrels i mean lord of scoundrels lord, lord of scoundrels like, is, is like a different level just because we had already read that and that wasn't like i don't know it's it like does, old it's eternal it doesn't feel <laughs> i don't know it's right. like old school yeah. you know interesting. I was just talking about this with someone today. I think that contemporary romances date, like get dated yeah. very quickly and historical romances yeah. don't. Like a lot of 90s ones, I mean, mm-hmm. some of them, of course, do. Of course. Um, but, <laughs> but there are still many 90s romances, historical romances that you mm-hmm. can read that still feel very fresh. I think Lord of Scoundrels is a great example. Like it mm-hmm. just feels like it could have just recently come yeah. out. Yeah. Um, whereas any 90s contemporary romance oh. you're like oh it's the 90s yes there you are with your low-fat ranch you know oh. <laughs> when like i don't think 
like I'm sure at some point in my romance reading journey, I will get into old school contemporary romances. I, re- I read like, a few. I'm just not. That's not a thing that I'm super interested in reading so much as like uh-huh. the historicals. Like you were saying, they don't they don't age as poorly mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Or I, as quickly. Or as quickly, yeah. yes. I read because w- I thought that all mass markets were historical. So like when I bought them, I just like grabbed a few. So like I read a Susan Elizabeth Phillips one. He was like a football coach. Was I, it? It had to be you. I think so. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So that was that's... one of the first that I actually read of like adult romance. <laughs> was that, one? that okay? Well, me too. When <laughs> when I but I was like twelve. But oh my <laughs> god, that book spoke to me yes. when I was twelve. I was. It was a very good book. I was okay. Well, but it is. But I just reread it last year, and it's just so offensive in so many ways. It was. I was so disappointed because when I was twelve, it I thought it was the most profound. <laughs> I mean, I just sobbed and sobbed into into my paperback, um, and I was quite crushed actually when I reread it last year. And yeah, um, it was probably never in never reread media or like reinteract with media from your childhood. Mm-mm. <laughs> Mm-mm. It it seems to me, and this may just be because I love historical romance, but it seems to me that historical romance used to be a larger proportion of mm-hmm. like the romance market. Like it felt like half of romances were historicals and now it's mm. obviously a much smaller proportion i don't know if that's actually true or if it's just my impression though or like the perception of it i do wonder because like, i and i mean i'm shaky on my romance genre history but i do feel like i mean the first ones really were like the 70s and 80s, it was like all historicals like mm-hmm. i feel like contemporary branched out of historical romance rather than the other way around which i think yeah is kinda, like i feel like early romances were more historical it's not that there like, weren't contemporary, it but... It was that way mm-hmm. to me, that it was, like, a larger proportion. So, um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the, like, switch is. I do feel like I have seen... I mean, I wasn't huge in book spaces, although I did start in fantasy and, like, YA more than I was reading romance. And I feel like I have seen a, a shift to, like... Not necessarily that romance itself is getting more popular, but that people feel more comfortable saying they read romance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, I don't know if it's, like, the illustrated cover, like, I think the that's misogyny, it. it's easier to, like, have that in public and not feel mm-hmm. embarrassed to be reading it, and so that helped, like, bring around, I don't know. I don't know, no, but I, I feel like i I think it. you're absolutely right, and I know when I, I mean, <laughs> I feel like I'm so ancient even just saying this, but, like, when I was first getting into the internet, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, no, but, like, you know, let's say when I was in, in high school um, or early college, like I was really into this, the website Smart Bitches Trashy Books. Um, yes. mm-hmm. And I felt very like empowered. I was like, yes, I am a smart bitch and I do like trashy books. <laughs> and I, but I feel like, you know, like maybe you wouldn't say that anymore nowadays, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it's been almost 20 years. Um, and I wouldn't feel the need to like say, I, I, I can be smart and read romance. Like now I feel right. like that's, that's more, at least for me, it's more of a given. Don't need to kind of yeah, have that yeah. inherent defense. It's come up in conversations yeah, is... like I mm-hmm. feel like I've had a lot of conversations, particularly around like Emily Henry, particularly because like she doesn't necessarily market herself this way, but the way that other people tend to market her books is like yeah. quote smart women's romance, which she's mm. not the only one that does that, but she's one of the big ones. Um, and I had been speaking to actually on like an interview or something, and it didn't end up making it into the cut. But she'd asked, like, do you think it's offensive, like, to for when other people say, oh, she's like smart women's romance? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I do. Like, mm-hmm. why is all romance not smart women's ro- like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely implying I- that all other romance is dumb women's romance? Like, what does yeah. that mean? Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. I, I, but I really do think the perception is shifting and it's mm -hmm. becoming mm -hmm. much more, you know, discussed. And even you brought up like illustrated covers. And I think that um, you mentioned bringing down the Duke being like in sort of an intro to historical yes. romance sort of book for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I mean, that was the first traditionally published historical romance with an illustrated cover. Yeah. And it was really shocking to see, I was like, what is this cover? What is this book? You know, I like wasn't even sure how to, mm -hmm. how to um, place it for myself as a, mm -hmm. as a big historical romance reader. Um, and, but it's, I've heard so many people say that, that it yeah. was their intro into historical romance. So I'm, I am all in favor of the illustrated cover. Come, yeah. come to the fold via my, my exactly. illustrated cover. I'll yeah. track you. It's not like same. an intro point. Oh yeah. We've mm -hmm. had this conversation with various other people. Yeah. Like Especially like Elizabeth game. Everett who yeah. has, um, illustrated Her covers. Cause covers. it, you know, we were saying like it can be hard if you go to a bookstore and you see like in my Barnes and Noble you have you know three shelves of just mass markets and you know it can be like where do you start where do you pick up um but if you go into the illustrated section which is a lot more contemporary romance but you see the historical ones it's a lot easier to pick out the historical like ones like there are obviously not as many um so it doesn't feel as overwhelming to go that mm -hmm. direction you know like I went from Evie Dunmore to Minerva Spencer, to Joanna Lowell, to Elizabeth Everett, and then kind of like that um, direction just because they were all getting published at like the same time mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they all looked the same. So like I don't have anything against um, illustrated covers. I think they each do something different. Um, and they all tend to have kind of a different feel. Yeah. Like those feel they, very yeah. intro historical romance to me for mm -hmm. somebody who doesn't necessarily read a lot of it. And then once you're kind of into those, then you can get into the like clinch cover, yeah. like mm -hmm. appreciation, mm -hmm. get kind of into the more like bonkers plots, which is what mm -hmm. I did. I need a kidnapping. <laughs> I need like something, something wild. But like you don't bonkers really get that plot. in a... <laughs> the perfect segue to Flowers from the Store. Yeah, Flowers from the Store. <laughs> We did no, it. I, we bantered our way into it. Yes! I think the 90s romance, I mean, you'll see this with doing your old school ones. Like, 90s romances, the plots were so much more. I mean, it would just be like, mm -hmm. and surprise, she's secretly a princess of a tiny kingdom. And you just, I mean, I would just be reading and be like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know? like, when that I've, was totally normal. I haven't gotten Hannah into it. I have been on a Laura Kinsale kick. And mm -hmm. by that, I mean, I've read like a few, but they're so long and so dense that like, it really takes me a while to read each one. So I've read like, five i want to say somewhere along i will be continuing to read more um but this was flowers from the storm was my most recent one and that's the thing that i've noticed especially with her is like it's very long and the plot is not gonna go where you think it's gonna go absolutely not. it's gonna be an adventure and most <laughs> of the time there's been like one that i didn't love but most of the time i'm gonna eat it up did, it, did you did you say you read seize the fire you like, yeah yeah, I love <laughs> like, that book. You really could not predict any part of that. Not plot. a chance. It was like she's a princess. She wants to lead a revolution. He's a bad guy who thinks that or that everybody thinks he's a hero. And then it was like PTSD, shipwrecked on an island, colonial is it? Yeah, shipwrecked Baby on penguins. an island. Baby penguins. I was like, what is going on? Give me more. Uh <laughs> <laughs> My whole relationship to historical romance. What is going on? Give me more. That's honestly, yeah. If that's not your reading experience. Mm -hmm. Find some different books. That was me reading, like, The Windflower, Laura London. At no point can I predict yeah. right. where yeah. that was going. Exactly. It was like, oh, you exactly. thought you thought we were done? Malaria. Huh? <laughs> Ma malaria is such a fan like a fascinating plot device. And when he was wicked, he just gets malaria. And it's a whole yeah. thing. And right. I was like, because that was, like, my one of my first ones. I was like, 
what are we like it was a whole history lesson i was like oh my gosh <laughs> and so very much flowers from the storm i was like okay like we're in an asylum like he's had this stroke mm-hmm. we're in this asylum like we need to and then <laughs> and then we're going it was like you know the sound where it's like and you know grab my hand we wait we wait now we're going go 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 like don't let go we're going that is how this book felt to yeah. me i was like oh we're out we're out we're running we're there's a hearing we're out of the hearing we're on the run she's leaving him she's not leaving him we're not done no your foot is on the gas almost the entire book if there's like two little sections where you get to like calm down like mm-hmm. i i was talking to um candy tan and she was saying like that the that the plot is like it like pulls really tight and then you get like this tiny little like rubber band you can relax a little bit and then oh god then it pulls tight again and that's like a perfect description of this book because it is so intense and you get just these tiny little releases of tension but mostly it's just the gas is floored the whole time. I think the and this will be an interesting discussion because Hannah and I had opposite feelings. Yeah. And I did not like this book. So this not is going to make this me. conversation interesting because I loved it. <laughs> uh, it it was literally the amalgamation of all of my nightmares into one book specifically in that combination in that <laughs> presentation um yeah like yeah I feel like I will say as I was reading it I was like I could see how this would be a book that most people would be like this is incredible and if it's not something that works for you I can see how it would be one that you're like yeah no you know what I yeah. mean like if it's well, not doing it for you I, can I see how that would have be. a sp- specific trigger for asylums and like vulnerable populations like being mistreated and so like it just in that sense didn't work like I liked the beginning I well I mean I guess him knocking up his mistress at the beginning wasn't what I liked but I liked (laughs) after that (laughs) and I I thought it was very interesting and fascinating but then it just I like the anxiety and just like personally I was like oh my god I mean it was an interesting book and the concept was so interesting. Um, and I don't know if like, I just, it is a, a thing that I just don't like. And, but like the asylum forced institutionalization is just not for me. And so when we spent so long in there, I do think it like did very fascinating things, but just not anything that I would like. Need oh, see, I think to I, be in. I was expecting it to be there longer. I thought we were well, going to be too. I did. I was longer. also interested and I was happy. I was like, Oh, thank God we're out of that. Like, I mean, yay. it was rough. Yeah. 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 It's, like, it's, I mean, it's, it's absolutely undoubtedly a stressful book. Yes. It is, it is a stressful read. Yes. I mean, just the, the dehumanization that Christian mm-hmm. experiences, the powerlessness that he experiences is terrifying. Yeah. So, you know, it, for whatever reason, I was just eating it up mm-hmm. like, like a trash panda of stress. <laughs> trash um, panda of stress. <laughs> I like more. that. Um, but I can, yeah, I can completely understand why mm-hmm. someone, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't find this a pleasurable reading. Experience. I do like your point about, like, I was thinking about the pacing because it, it's such a, and I mean, I think this has been my experience with Laura Kinsale books is that the pacing is always very interesting to me because it's, mm-hmm. I think all of them that I've read so far have been like, there are moments of like, there's a lot of going on and then you'll take a break mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. give it a second. And then we're going, we're going, we're getting on a ship and the ship is being taken over by pirates and now we're on an <laughs> island. And there is a mysterious assassin wearing a cape. What's going on? Um, <laughs> different book. Shadowheart. But Shadowheart. Shadowheart. <laughs> which I also ate up and did not know where that plot was going. Uh, 
Well, and that's another one, another good example that has this kind of like honeymoon section because there's the part where they're in the tower mm -hmm. and they're playing the finger games and it's just very charming. Yes. And, and all of a sudden these characters who like have seemed desperately like ill-matched for each, you know, like totally ill-suited, like why are they even together? All of a sudden they're in their little honeymoon and, it, and you're like, oh, they are perfect for each other. And right. I think that happens in Flowers from the Storm, you know, too. When, I mean, they seem so like poorly matched, but then when they go to Chavo Castle and, you know, they, they, you know, the scene where they're lying on the ground and they're looking up at the ceiling and they're kissing mm -hmm. on the floor and, and you're like, oh, like they're going to make it. Like they actually love each other. Yeah. I think the thing that did it for me was really like there were multiple scenes where uh, he was kind of struggling to communicate with anybody else in the room, but they could communicate without speaking. Mm -hmm. Um where I'm trying to think, oh, she like gestures to a, a box or something like that. Yeah. She and he like immediately knows. Yeah, yeah. And he does it. And like that was my, oh, they can talk without talking. Like there's a connection there. They neither of them have with anybody else. Right. Yeah. Like, she he knows loves. he's not going to be able to open it. And she knows he would be embarrassed right. by that. And so she tells him like, put it in your pocket. You know, it's just so, yeah, she really sees him. Like there's another part where um, it's when, uh, they're reunited with Durham and Fane or with Durham and the dogs. And he's mm -hmm. like, that was so fun. overcome by just the sort of dogs. You know, oh my God. <laughs> I know. And he just like much. sinks to the ground. Oh yeah. I'm fine. <laughs> my emotions. Um, <sighs> but she, she thinks she sort of distracts Durham because she's like, Christian, he wouldn't want his friend to see him. Yeah. yeah. She like sends him out. She's like, mm -hmm. do you want to go like lie down, change something like that? Like gets him yeah, out go of the room. Up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, she really sort of sees and, and understands him in, in a way. I mean, I think that um, that's one of the sort of powerful parts of the book is that she does see him even when no one else does, no one else sees, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that he's still, that he's still in there. That was one yeah. of my, one of my very favorite parts was her in the, the very early on in the seclusion room when he's mm -hmm. like, you know, banging and throwing things around and trying to like call her name and stuff. And she goes to like see where they would put him. And she has mm -hmm. that like opening from God right. where she suddenly right. has this like very clear realization of he is not mad. He is maddened. Right. Like essentially he's trapped in his own body. And I was like, ooh, the drama. Like it just, she just like got it from the very beginning. Like she yeah. saw straight into him and I, I ate it up. Yeah, mm. I'm usually not um, super invested in like religious plot lines, which makes See, that's, I yeah, no, <laughs> I'm 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 not either. And yeah. so the fact that this is my literal favorite book makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> but it, there here you are. But I think that the way that Kinsale portrays her um, Quakerism is so interesting because. You know, it, I think the fact that she's a Quaker is really important and significant because the Quaker faith is so invested in, you know, questioning the status quo and thinking about, you know, how can we make things better and social progress and social improvement and also the way it empowers regular people. I mean, they were so invested in, um, you know, it, the idea that there's not a priest who's going to come down and tell you the right thing. Like everyone has this the ability to had their own revelation and they were particularly empowering to women in the period. I mean, they were, you know, had a much different attitude toward what women could think and be and do, um, you know, than, than the general public. And so I think all of those things, like because of Maddie's faith, 
that's what allows her to see Christian, to stand up for Christian, to, you know, to see him in a different way than the way she's told she's supposed to see him, right? Even, you know, her cousin's like, oh, he has the mind of a three-year-old, right? And she is able to just completely go against what she's told she's supposed to accept um, because of her faith. So I, I, for me, I think that's why that whole aspect of the book works so well for me. Yeah. I see. I like a religious plot line. I mean, obviously, there's a way to do it where I would be like, "Yikes, this mm-hmm. is propaganda," mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But like, as a religious person, I really like when you do something interesting and have somebody really grappling with it. And so, mm-hmm. I was really invested in all of her. Like, anytime somebody would be arguing with her, especially early on, like with her cousin, who's like, "Oh well, you know, we can't let you be his nurse or whatever," and he would be very persuasive. And her immediate thought was like, "Well, the the reasoner, the devil, is also very persuasive." And so, like, forcing herself to really step back and look at, like, is this right or is he just being persuasive? I thought that was really compelling. Um, And then particularly in the end when she, like, recognizes that, like, just because that it isn't what you want me to do doesn't mean that it isn't God's will and doesn't mean that it isn't right for me to love this man, right? And to, oh, especially Lady, um, oh, what is her name? The Marley? Yes. Pulling up and being like, okay, you're going to go feed ten people. That doesn't take a lot of courage. You know what does take a lot of courage is going and being in power and feeding thousands of people, like giving all of these people jobs, which was, I thought, a very interesting way to, like, shift her perspective. That's my take. That's all I got. I just like the religious aspect. I I enjoy that kind of thing when it kind of turns it on its head. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, I think... Sometimes people, I feel like their reading of this is that it gets almost like exhausting, like Maddie going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Uh, but but there's something very real about that to me, the way that she has to really interrogate herself constantly. Like, is this just what I want or am I actually being led to this, right? Like, do I, do I just want to help Christian or is this an actual calling? You know, and she, you're right that she says like the reasoner can, you know, kind of trick you and deceive you. So then she has to ask herself like when she's thinking about um, how Christian, what Christian is saying to her or Christian's trying to make her accept all these sort of creaturely, worldly things. And she's she has to kind of confront, like, is is that wrong to want those things or not? And of course, you know, we, the reader, are like, no, it's not wrong. You know, wear your pretty dresses. dresses. Have sex with your sexy husband. <laughs> Come on, Maddie. But, you know, but it feels so real to her to, to sort of grapple with that. And especially like Edie, the way that Edie is um, presented in this book, I think is so interesting. So like, I'm sure as you guys are reading these old school books, you will see that 90s romances love to have this other woman, this mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. evil other woman. I mean, like Whitney, my love is a great <laughs> example. And there's always this like, oh, he has like a, you know, a mistress that he, that, you know, comes back at the end and, and becomes sort of some kind Lord of Lord of scoundrels too. Yes, yeah. it's everywhere. It was mm-hmm. so, so, so common. Um, and they're a lot of times they're very demonized. They're like these mm-hmm. horrible, wicked women who are, you know, the threat to the, you know, perfect, virginal, whatever. Right. They had um, sex with this man. Heroine. Right. <laughs> but uh, Kinsale is so, just so interesting. And she doesn't let it just be that, right? Like Maddie for Edie for Maddie, Edie doesn't represent, like, this evil woman who's out to steal her man. Edie represents, like, what Maddie is afraid of for herself, mm-hmm. right? She sees Edie as, like, this is what could happen to me. Like, mm-hmm. she sees Edie sort of, like, collapsed on the stairs, like, begging for Christian. And she's like, oh, my God, like, that could be me. If I sort of falter if, and I sort of, like, give myself over to him the way that part of me wants to, 
you know, I could lose myself and lose, of course, we know that, you know, that she never would, but that's what she's afraid of. That's her sort of mistaken belief um, that's driving her. So, and then the way, she, the way that Maddie treats Edie with such kindness is, I think, so moving and beautiful and just really different um, for novels of this, of this era. Yeah, I yeah. will say I wanted more of him and Diana the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, dare I say I want more of a 18-hour and 59-minute book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was more given to that aspect because my favorite line was when um, at the end when he was like, I just think she'll be cold and they won't care. Oh like oh! that was – that hurt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, that like I wanted more of that. Like I was really like invested in him and the daughter because like I do – um, I mean, favorite part of Lore of Scoundrels was Dane figuring out what to do <laughs> with the little mm-hmm. Hellion and like Jess is, you know, making him grapple with that. Um, I do love and a, so, a yeah. romance novel. Yeah. I won't lie to you. Yeah, that's I know what we're popular. <laughs> we're doing, <laughs> we're doing an episode like, after this about mm-hmm. kids and historical romances. It'll be um, when this comes out, it will have been mm-hmm. the last week's episode. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I eat them well, up. Look forward to Ne'er Duke Well because it has two kids. Amazing. And they're very charming. Yes. I'm, I'm adding a section about like wards and or older kids. And we sure do have Matilda um, in there. Oh, right. The, because... Yeah, right. And B. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, so. yeah. So actually, yeah, that's his sister. And in Ne'er Duke Well, it's also his siblings. Um, mm-hmm. He The premise of Ne'er Duke Well is that he is this very sort of scandalous duke from America. Um, and mm. he is trying to get guardianship of his father's illegitimate children mm. um, who are 10 and 12 and they are like absolutely not we want nothing to do with you like you know yeah. <laughs> sc- scandalous scoundrel um, and so he asks uh, the, the heroine for help making himself more yeah. respectable so that he's going to win the guardianship case um, of his siblings so yeah so, the, so kids kids are pretty big and mm. that's like flipping um forever your rogue by aaron langston i'm a, have you read that yes yeah. i have so, we're, we're, yes well, i was just gonna say because um nate he had a terrible reputation and he was the only one that she could go to to like i mean he was a terrible like a terrible option like if you need to get guardianship of these children <laughs> going to nate travers is probably not the move but he was her only move and it was hilarious um but so that's interesting seeing the flip side of him needing to get the guardianship and redeem his reputation. Yeah. Aaron and I are friends. And mm-hmm. when I read Forever Your Rogue, I was like, oh my God, like my, my book also has yeah. this like guardianship plot line, except it's sort of the exact opposite, like you yep. said. Um, but it's interesting because in her author's notes, she talks about like a re- like the Lord Chancellor um, and he's kind of bad and like the bad rulings that he handed down and it's so funny because that person that she talks about in her author's notes that real historical figure appears in a bunch of scenes on page in mm-hmm, my book mm-hmm. <laughs> so i i made him nicer in, in my book than he probably was in real life i do love i mean love in the sense that i enjoy reading about it even <laughs> though it stresses you know like i yeah. don't want it to be happening in the same way that like i don't yeah. want to read about him in an asylum but i thought yeah. it was fascinating to read about um but the like the, the guardianship and like what happens to like bastard children particularly mm-hmm. and bringing it back to flowers from the storm i was kind of fascinated by Edie just like not not wanting she was like here take it I, mm, yeah i don't care i told her it's not the their family or their you know mm-hmm her dead husband's yeah you know it's not his i told him they don't want it i don't want it here 
Like, yeah, well, I think she's kind of like nursed this belief that this mistaken belief that she and Christian are going to sort of like right. go yeah. off in the sunset with their child. Um, it's so interesting the way that um, in that part of the book, Edie doesn't even really seem to notice his disabilities. Um, yeah. And I think that in some ways it shows how far Christian has come at, at that point in the novel because it is towards the end of the novel and we've seen his very, very gradual recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, it also shows that like Edie does not see him, right? This, mm-hmm. She's the complete opposite of Maddie who sees him so intimately and as you were saying, you know, Caroline is able to communicate with him wordlessly and Edie just like, he, she's just like invented this picture of him in her mind and yeah. this future that she thinks that they're that they're gonna have and even when um, he's telling her he's like i'm married and she's like lol no you're not yeah she does not <laughs> want to believe that she it's she's like, me of like enraptioning the heiress yeah, you guys know enraptioning the heiress by sherry Caroline. i've yeah. read it Okay, when, when Isabel, the other woman, sort of comes back and she's like, okay, Fitz, we're going to like be so happy together she's now. so delusional. And you're like, <laughs> right. like you feel for her though. Because you're yeah. like, oh, right. nothing is going the way you want it to. And well, she gets her own Bella. So if you That's feel true. for her, really? you can read her. That's yeah. always, I always fat, like fixate on those characters who you're like honestly if this was my life i'd be that character right like i'd be the one (laughs) right before he finds his like true love when ravishing the air isabel doesn't get like demonized which i also thought was interesting because she is the other woman um Mm -hmm. and she's very much like you sympathize with her she's not i mean there are times when she's like oh we're gonna go do this and she's like clearly very delusional like in her little Mm -hmm. fantasies and you're like girl like come on now you know he's not going to do all these things, but, like, you do feel for her, and he doesn't, like, demonize her either. In the end, it's a very, yeah. like, he almost, well, not to spoil it, but he has a hard choice to make in the end um, because of the things he's committed to her, and it's very, like, they end on good terms, and he, like, wants the best for her, which I appreciate. We're not we're not here to demonize other women sometimes. Yeah. No, I, I like <laughs> that, too. Sometimes. Sometimes we are. Sometimes <laughs> other women show up in romance novels. Yeah. It depends. It depends. Well, I mean, that was just so common, like, especially in the 90s. And yeah. These authors that, like, came up in that period, like, it was just, that was just how, how it was, you yeah. know? So I think that's one of the things that, like, makes Kinzel really different is that she was doing so many different things. Another thing that Kinzel, you wouldn't know from just reading Flowers from the Storm because Christian is, like, the, like, you know, er- uber rake (laughs) you know he's like so he's so sexy and rakish and he always is like you know flirting with maddie and 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 it's just he's got riz you're like he is he is even at like his yeah even at his rock bottom he is still like he is he's got it he just like holds out his hand and leans against a wall and like i know her hand (laughs) and she's like maybe i should abandon all my principles and you're like relatable maddie yes you're like i see that I, I too, would abandon everything for you. Um, no, so anyway, but what I was going to say was that that a lot of 90s romances were featured this, like, rakish hero. It was a common archetype then. But Kinsale actually really didn't like rakes, and most of her books are these sort of, <laughs> like, sad, awkward, like, socially awkward, like, um a lot of times she has a lot of virgin heroes um so it's it's interesting that i feel like she kind of deviated from type a little bit um with christian i think kinsale is very interested in power and like how power is negotiated and how people have power um and i think flowers from the storm is one of her like greatest examples of that because christian starts out with all the power right he is he's rich he's beautiful he's sexy he's brilliant he has everything and then we see him you know kind of 
taken down to absolutely totally dehumanized and he has mm-hmm. no power and he has no agency and then we see his like gradual recovery and that's something that maddie is afraid of right she fears like what's going to happen when he doesn't need me anymore um and I'm not really sure where I'm going with this, but I think that's no, just but... one of Kendall's obsessions. We see her in so many of her books thinking and looking into power and and how people have power and how, you know, power is taken away from them in different ways. Shadowheart is one of my favorite examples of because then you get like the kinky, like he is very much yeah. in control, even though he's like, you know, off on an island, like he's been banned and uh, excommunicated and like he's had his power strip, but he's got his own like kind of power. Yeah, his own um, kingdom. But then he's very submissive. Right. In, like the sex scenes. And yes. like into yeah. pain, which like I kind of wasn't expecting. There's a part where she like rakes his her nails like a stick. And I was like, whoa, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> no, it is absolutely, if you're looking for a very odd early 2000s femdom book. I was like, very into it. One. Well, yeah. and the whole reason I picked it up is because they had talked about it on Faded Mates as one that you don't get his POV until like the 17th chapter and it's during a sex scene when he is being very submissive and tied up and all of a sudden it switches to his POV and you're like, whoa, we haven't had his POV this entire time. I was like, oh my God, the drama, the power dynamics. You love to see it. Where was- I was going to bring it back to Flowers from the Storm though. Oh, and then just the idea of Maddie as somebody who doesn't believe in these different power dynamics like she doesn't believe Mm -hmm. in a hierarchy and the aristocracy and all of that um and then just she is the one with like the most power legally by the end of this book because they can take him away unless she says no right like his family's trying to lock him back up which fuck his family by the way oh my Um, god so horrible the way I was ready to fight (laughs) And they they don't even, like, get appropriately, like, destroyed, which is what I would like. That's another thing Hannah doesn't like. Everything to be taken away from them. I do kind of love, like, Lady DeMarley was interesting to me because on the one hand, I really liked her as a character and appreciated what she was doing. But she would have her moments Mm -hmm. where she was like, I'll send him back if he doesn't do what I want. And Mm -hmm. she's like, you love him and you're going to do that? And she said, I said I understand him, not that I love him. And I was like, okay. She's like, yeah. I've watched everyone in my family die. <laughs> like, right. I know what I'm about. Yeah, mm. definitely. Kinsale sort of gives them some sort of explanation. Like you said, like the mom has had all these children who died in infancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, the aunt has had all of, like you said, all these people that she's loved die. So we sort of somewhat understand why they have these difficult relationships but on the other hand the brothers-in-law like no they can just no burn we can get rid of them the mother i think is sympathetic in that like she makes me sad for her because of who she is as a person where she is absolutely buying into the like this is punishment from god like he's morally disabled like that entire which of course is a very popular thing at the time you lock people up for moral insanity um and so you're like fuck you but, like, it also – like, she's just so lost in it that, like, it kind of hurt to read about her. No, I completely agree. Ugh. Completely agree. I It's, like – I mean, I think it's just a thing humans do when there's some kind of, like, terrible tragedy. Mm-hmm. You want to create some kind of narrative or, like, you want to understand, like, why that happened. And so hers is some kind of punishment from God. Right. Except then it obviously becomes, like, a tool to, to control Christian, to degrade and humanize Christian. As people in power – in religious mm. communities are want to do right right mm. 
Well, okay, let's see. I'm like looking at my notes. What what needs to be discussed? You've got I know you've got pages of notes. What's next? <laughs> um, well, I can I we can talk about whatever you want. I have um, a note that-, that just is all caps kittens and kisses. So <laughs> <laughs> I have a note all caps that just says the dogs. So I think <laughs> Also the ghost dog. I'm just oh like God. weeping in the epilogue. Yeah, it's fine. I love the ghost dog. I want a ghost dog. I want an alive dog. <laughs> I want an alive dog also, but like a nice little ghost dog who just shows up. I love some of his like phrases. Uh, my favorite was, um, let me see, it was like ghastly gray ghost creature. Tag yourself. That's me. Um, that was, that was <laughs> a fun one. When you said one. phrases, I thought you meant like like things that he tends to repeat because I'm a big oh. fan of his like little thee thou. Thee thou, yeah. And it alternates because mm-hmm. yeah. sometimes thee she's a little thee thou bitch. Like, <laughs> it was also funny because like there were a few reviews um that i was reading and they were because like i knew nothing about quakers um you know i think i learned a little bit about them in like a push but that was of like pennsylvania um and so i had i was like why what time period are we in i was oh. so confused because i had the audiobook and i didn't like didn't remember any date and i'm like why are they saying thee thou hast woods i'm like what is happening and then right. i was finally like is that like a Quaker thing? And yeah. I had to Google. I was like, oh, okay. Well, it makes sense. It's still like <laughs> confusing. But right. like I had no – and there were several – like there was one review. <laughs> the person was like, I have no clue why they're saying these words. I don't want to find out. I just need to stop. <laughs> I was like – Guys, Google is free. <laughs> also, like, I didn't even Google. I just got it from contact because they would say like, "Don't use the plain speech," and I was right. like, okay. "Well, I'm well, like, I, I also I'm whipping out my like Shakespeare experience where you know yeah. that in old English, thee and thou are the like, mm-hmm. what you call it, like intimate, informal. less yes, yeah. thank you, the informal form, exactly. and you is formal. So when they said the plain speech, I was like, oh, yeah, I had none of that context, and okay. I was like, what is happening? I can <laughs> see how this would be jarring if you it didn't, was jarring. I was like, <laughs> what time? I was like. I was like, it doesn't feel like it's like medieval, but what? Why are they talking mm. like this? No, no, no. And that's so the, when I had the, the light bulb, when I had the light bulb, I was like, oh, here we are. I, un- oh, I kind of understand. Our, someone in our Facebook group, we read this in April in our Facebook group, mm-hmm. and someone said that she kept getting ads for oatmeal because of how many times she kept googling Quakers. <laughs> I kept also thinking about oatmeal. I can't. De- I can't deny. I did not. Um, that was my only. That's like my only like cult like touch point is Quaker oats. Um, and so that's, that's all Quaker I kept oats. thinking about. <laughs> I am, like I, <laughs> I'm deceased. I mean, I'm uh, proud, well, I, or I'm impressed that you didn't go to the Quaker oats, Caroline. That's no, a, it, that's I mean, impressive. I'm sure. I, I don't I feel like I just I don't like know a lot about Quakers, but I feel I like I, you I, don't I, know, I know more oatmeal. than you did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know much about oatmeal, but <laughs> I was like, I know a lot about oatmeal. I love oatmeal. <laughs> I feel like I think I just knew going in, like Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I have like people that I follow that really love this book, so I feel like I had mm-hmm. absorbed a lot about it. So I feel like I was mm-hmm. just kind of prepared for like she's a Quaker, like she has the di- the different. Like I didn't know the mm. details, but I knew enough to be like kind of prepared for like she's living this religious lifestyle. Nothing. So I didn't like I just kind of jumped into mm-hmm. it and was able to absorb. Although it, you know what, it did make me think of not oatmeal. It made me think of the scene in Fleabag, um, season two, where she and the priest go to a Quaker meeting, 
And like, that's what I pictured every time. It was like a little wooden shack and there are benches and they're all kind of sitting there and they just sit in silence. And then when like the spirit moves them, they will stand and just like say whatever they think, you know, whatever God has put into their heart to say. Um, And so that is the scene that I thought of every time. Well, and that's interesting because that's, that is exactly how it's represented in the book too. So, you know, you see that, that religious tradition being totally unchanged, you know, 200 years later. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool actually. Oh Yeah. I, I mean, I think Kinzel just loves language. She just like, just like luxuriates in language. And so we have Maddie's language and then we have Christian's language, which we haven't even talked about yet. But oh that gosh. is mm-hmm. such a, I mean, even if you don't like the book, like I feel like you have to be like impressed by how Kinzel registers like his language and his language barrier. I, I just remember like the first time I was reading it, being like stunned to realize that he wasn't understanding people either right Mm -hmm. and and then when we get in all the sections from his pov in the asylum and and we have to try to figure out what the hell people are saying Mm -hmm. and it's it's so frustrating as a reader and then of course it's like multiplied ten ten thousand fold for christian right like living the experience especially in the audio frustration yeah i was gonna ask if you could listen to the audiobook the audiobook was intense nicholas bolton well, I yeah. love his narration. I listened to another Laura Kinsale he narrated, and I mm. he's great. But it was jar because yeah. especially because like I had sped it up a little bit, um, and I yeah. had to, I ended up slowing it down early on. I could speed it up later because as he improves, mm-hmm. obviously you start to be able to understand the dialogue, even his from his POV. Um, but initially, when it's just kind of like little slurred bits and pieces. It was, I mean, it, it worked. I It created, like, a real sense of panic in me of, like, not knowing yes. what's going on, not well, knowing what's coming. It's terrifying. I, w- I wonder if I would have enjoyed it more if I had not listened to the audiobook because the Maybe. performance for me was fantastic. But, like, I just didn't like it how stressful. it made me feel. And, like, I didn't like the experience of it. So I think maybe if I would have read it physically, it would have been different. And I think just, like me having to listen because I sped it up it was like two which is my normal speed and then like I think I got up to like 2.5 2.7 it was all sounding the same like I, I could like comprehend it um but like it just I think if I could have read it physically it wouldn't have maybe felt so long and so I don't know all the time happening because that's like I, I mean I was like if yeah. I'm going to read something like this, I want to feel that panic and that – like because I think that's what she's doing. She wants yeah. you to feel the dehumanization and the panic. Yeah, and, like, and to me, like, it just – it was too much. Well, I also – But it worked that was like, for what she wanted. Right. Well, I just want to – like, the writing of the stroke itself was one mm-hmm. of the most unsettling things yes. I've read. In me- like, I was, yeah. like, sweating. Yeah, mm. even the very beginning when he's there's just know, like a meet- tingle in his arm. <gasps> yes, and he 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 loses his hat and then he forgets it and he oh. goes back and he doesn't recognize it yeah. at first. I I I mean, just even those introductory pages, I was like, oh my god, like the tension in my body, mm-hmm. like I, what's gonna happen? Ah, there was a yeah, lot of like early on, there was a lot of tension. There were later I I got into because I was worried the whole thing was gonna I will say if the entire book was the way that I felt during the asylum like that first chunk of the book I would not have enjoyed like I didn't want to oh, read the sure. entire thing no I, I that was, was exactly enough asylum right I was like, we got out go back. I was like please yeah. don't take us back <laughs> I was like if he has to marry Ann Trotman I don't care there's the only right. novel ever where I've been like sure marry another woman <laughs> marry your mistress I don't care whatever you got to do buddy. <laughs> whatever gets us out of this place um yeah. i wanted to bring up though because i was also listening to the audiobook and 
I love this because you knew exactly what was going to happen or like you knew what the end result was going to be. But during the wedding scene, not the first one to Aunt Trotman, but the one where she finally breaks down and marries him when they're like in a church, there's men with weapons banging on the doors and they're like, Maddie, you have to marry him. And she's like, bro, no, I said I wasn't going to marry him. And they're fighting and like tension is high and she's like, fine, so be it. And they're like speeding through the ceremony and they're banging down the doors. <laughs> so like, you know, they're going to finish getting married before anyone breaks in. It's going to be fine. But I was like on the edge of my seat. I was like, ah, Mr. Dress. It's and it's so cinematic. Like I just yes. don't know why this was a movie because like they're pounding on the door and Durham's breathing as fast as he can and and she's like so mad and she's like I that is all I am led to say at present. Yeah, <laughs> this guy I've got I will say nothing else. They're like here are the vows. She's like no. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I said what I said. So Actually, annoying. one of my notes is quite literally, bro. This wedding, I am stressed. <laughs> <laughs> That's my only note from that part. And there are no more notes for the entire rest of the book until the end. I have one more note after that. I was just, I was like, I was really in it. We were not pausing. I just had to get to the end. No time to, no time to make notes. I no time to make notes. I had more early on. I had a lot about like uh, Christian's goodness showing through, even though he's presented mm -hmm. by as like this rake, this very, like a scoundrel. Right. He's not. But then one of the first things you get from him, like one yeah. of the first interactions you get from him is him describing Maddie to her father. Oh my god. Yep. That scene I, is I critical to the book. Yeah. It is just, if it weren't for that scene, he would not be sympathetic. No, and I also like, like if it weren't for that scene, you wouldn't necessarily trust his like love or his attraction to her. Mm -hmm. But because mm -hmm. we have that before the asylum, we see that he sees her from the first and that he's attracted to her and that he sees her personality. And I think that if that weren't there, you would almost feel like he would have fallen for anyone who got him out well, of the see, yeah. asylum. That's still how I feel. Like, I wanted yeah. more. I wanted more of that, like, before the asylum parts. Like, I right. just, I wanted more of him interacting with her because I, I mean, I just wasn't sold on their relationship in the romance, which I mean, I it is what it is. Um, because like, I just think if anyone would have entered that and understood him, it would like I don't know. But um, I liked that scene a lot, and I thought that was really nice. See, I think I getting she... the beginning that scene, and then initially, I do agree that it was him just like locking onto this as a person who understands yeah. me and can get me out. I didn't buy the romance at that point. I didn't buy it right. until after. Like, he does his initial, um, she accidentally dresses him for writing, which, by the way, breaks my oh, heart. That was devastating. devastating. How, oh, devastating. painful. Mm -hmm. Oh, and he doesn't it understand is, that it's an That accident. hurt. That hurt. It's brutal. Every I, he was I like, go, like, and I was like, weeping. Well, because then, because you, you saw I, her. I read this yeah. book, like, 15 times or more, probably, and, like, that part, I just have to, like, flip the yeah. really fast Because it's, like, it's so crushing to yeah. me. Mm -hmm. Oh, it hurts. Like, and the way, the way we're in her mind, like, yeah. her realizing what she's done is so... And then you go to so him. Ugh, and then and it goes back realize. to her. Yeah. yeah. Well, so yeah, I didn't buy one. it until he did his initial, like, how could you do this to me? You're playing a trick. I hate you. And I'm going to, therefore, seduce you out of your mm -hmm. principles. I didn't buy it until side after. Like, <laughs> sure. As you do. <laughs> like, um, okay. He was like, I may not be able to fast, talk. Though. I may be locked in an asylum, but I can seduce this woman. I loved that, by the way. Him laying in bed thinking about it. He's like, yeah, I can do it. For sure. Um, and then he did. Uh, yeah, he did. And then he did. But he lets go of it very quickly. He, he did, he, yeah. He's like, and it's like not even... Like, why would I even think that? Yeah. Like, and two, like, 
one thing I like about this book that's kind of weird and like risky almost is how when he's in the asylum, he's like really, his emotions are so volatile, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, he, he's like, I love her and I hate her yeah. and I want to murder. And like, especially like, I know you listen to it Nicholas Bolton when he's like talking about what he wants to do to Larkin and he's like, I, I don't know what the speech exactly, but it's like this long, like, and, and Nicholas yeah. Bolton just says it with such relish. Yeah. You know, he's like, his, his eyes will be popping out of his head. <laughs> it'll be slow it'll be painful i I relish in that i love the violence so like i that that spoke to me of anything in the book i was like yes make that man suffer Mm, yeah i want yeah out of anybody the brother-in-laws i i could see like i didn't necessarily want a ton of red i would have liked to see something happen to cousin edward but i feel like already we're getting him like his business is kind of fucked. Like, yeah. he lost a patient. Yeah. Like, we don't necessarily see what happens to him, but I feel like it wasn't good. I wanted to see something happen to Larkin. Well, he goes to jail, I think. Oh, well, it, oh, oh, I know what it is. They, he, like, has them chained up overnight, and he's like, but I'm a better person for you. I'm not going to press charges. Like, I'm going to let him go. And I was like, is very sweet, was- very sweet. However, <laughs> what if Larkin went to jail? You can let Cousin right. Edward go. He didn't maybe really know. My, maybe in my on. mind, Larkin just stays in jail. That's that's. I've just maybe. Re- I think no. I think he lets both of them go. Him. And I was oh. like, mm, after the like mm. pull to the back, uh- <laughs> which is so confusing because we we had also read Prisoner of My Desire, mm, Desires, and and um the, also that terrible villain horrible he just gets to swear fealty to the hero at the end he doesn't <laughs> like there's nothing that happens to him like he's yeah, yeah. his ego is busted totally. and he's like humiliated but he's not beheaded i mean <laughs> the amount of violence against women that was perpetuated even by the hero and then the, the main villain man just gets to swear fealty because his his pride is the most like thing to injure i'm like okay come on i'm like i was banking on that guy having a very bloody very dramatic death and it didn't happen and i was like what <laughs> why i was like you were, you had swords they were sword fighting and there was like a they were at a height he could have fallen and gone splat i'm like no. there were so many options i mean <sighs> i think that in this case the forgiveness worked for me not prisoner of my desire the forgiveness did not yeah. work for me there um i think in this case i didn't mind it so much because it was very much giving like his victory was they can't lock him up there's nothing exactly. they can do to him. He's out. He's, He's like free. moved on past them. Right. He doesn't need his vengeance. Right. I needed a little vengeance. A little vengeance would Christian, be nice. Christian didn't. <laughs> I, I just like to imagine that something yeah. bad ha- Like I have to assume, because yeah. they mentioned like the brother-in-laws, like the sisters were always asking for money and stuff. So I yeah. assume that he's just like not going to give them money and their lives suck now. But like in the epilogue, I feel like the sisters are like at their Christmas party. You're so they? right. And they I'm reconcile like, with yeah. the family. They're there. I like an explicit, like I like the book telling me what happens because like I need it in the book. Like this I don't want to have to imagine anything. Um, and again, like forgiveness, there are a few times where I, I get with it, but most of the time I'm like, no, I don't want them to be redeemed. I don't want me to feel bad. I don't really mind them. the sisters just because I really yeah. do feel like they probably didn't get to interact. I mean, they interacted with him like once post stroke yeah. where right, like they're basically right. just being told he's a lunatic. Mm-hmm. So I right. could see like. But the brothers in law. No. Yeah. no. Get them out like, of my face. Just, yeah. They're, they are bad. We're done they're with bad, them. Bad. Ugh, the audacity. But I love, like, the whole ending when Christian is, like, sort of, like, reclaiming his power and, like, he has all these plots and plans and, like, they keep, like, working out somehow despite, yeah. like, constantly thinking they're not going to work out. Maddie's like, so please pay your loans. And he's like, no. Oh. 
Yeah. That was also no. so random. I was like, oh, we're just dealing yeah. with bankruptcy. I think that, I mean, it's it's an interesting ending and it does, like, I can totally see why people, like, get frustrated with that whole section at the end because he's, like, repeatedly giving her all these gifts that she doesn't want and she's like, stop giving me all these gifts and he's like, I have to and it's just, I'm just, I, I understand, I'm very frustrated with everyone. But to me, like, they're so, they're, they're both so trapped in, like, they're in, in their heads, in sort of like a prison of their own making, right? Like, Maddie is trapped in this, like we must live in this Quaker way and we must pay our debts. And she can't even like her life experience has made it so that she can't grasp what he's trying to do. And Christian is so trapped in this mode of, I have to attain power. I have to protect myself and I have to protect Maddie that like, he just, he's willing to do anything. And they're, you know, they have this communication breakdown so that it's like, they can't possibly explain it. And I think even if Christian had, you know, his full powers of communication at that point, like there's no way he could explain it to Maddie, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's just so outside of her realm of experience. Um, so it's frustrating, but I also think it's interesting the way we see them so locked by their own prisoners of their own desires. If you know. <laughs> well, I think that's why I liked Lady Demarley being the one to show up at the end and kind of push yeah. her in the first place. Like it's him who finally does break through to her, but that initial push of you you're too cowardly you can feed 10 doing this but if you had the courage you could feed thousands that yeah. like it takes a, a complete perspective shift because her whole thing is like fire footmen pay your debts and he's like that's not gonna work but she has no right. understanding of like the amount of money that is at stake or like exactly the idea of being a landlord which like you know landlords but right he is one so <laughs> this sort of reality, well every um, every um, freaking duke we yeah, read about every the aristocrat like <laughs> right well that yeah i mean that's what that's what like, the dukedom is it's, it's uh, oh, capitalism it's, won on that one it sure did <laughs> um they got us reading I, about landlords and thinking they're hot and sexy they do they do <laughs> uh i just looking at my notes would like to come back to I had started down this path of his goodness and then we got sidetracked oh, right. by whether we bought the romance or not but I would like to come back to the fact that it's her father initially and also I think it's so interesting that her father is blind coming back to that um but there is a scene in the asylum where her father comes to visit and the first thing he does is like kneels at his feet and put his forehead on his hands mmm and also, this is my, like, theater English brain going off. Like, the all of the, like, anytime there's a blind character, I'm like, oh, oh, they're the only one who sees. Like, mm -hmm. it's them. <laughs> He's blind, which means he sees, right? And, like, and then all of the religious overtones. There was just a lot going on in my brain. And I don't know how to put that into words, except that that scene made me feel things. <laughs> a lot of things. That's such a good scene. No, I, I love that part as well. It's such a relief because Christian has been so dehumanized and no one sees him as a person except Maddie. And then to finally take him to her father and for her father to just completely accept him. And I think you're right. I think, you know, the fact that her father is blind is really critical, right? Like he is much more comfortable with disability and with like with a loss of previously held abilities, right? Because we learned mm -hmm. he went blind mm -hmm. later in life. Um, and, and he's completely aware that like a loss of inability does not mean that you're dehumanized right. in any kind of way. And I also think that's part of why Maddie is like, so ready to take charge, right? Cause she is comfortable caretaking for her father. Um, so she's able to kind of transfer those skills, but yeah, I know. I love that scene too. Christian just like finally finding someone who loves him and who cares about him and the way that, you know, Christian can't write, but it doesn't matter because, um, her father has like the braille mm -hmm. block not braille but like the yeah you know, the raised tiles. letter blocks yeah um just the 
the way that the accessibility you know, aids for her father help Christian as well. And the way he's able to do math and where he can finally like feel like himself again. Yes. It's just a really beautiful scene. And that's the really sexy scene with the whistle. Yes. Ooh, also the, the whistle. Scene. Well, I and it's also one part. of the first scenes. I think there's a sparrow in the chimney. Um, <sighs> <laughs> it's also one of the first times where like he is able to communicate with someone who isn't Maddie and it's not yeah. jarring at all. Like there's the, he's like, mm, like, I don't think this is a big enough scale. And he goes and points and Maddie's like, oh, the sky. And he's like dark. And her father goes, yeah. oh, the stars. That's the interesting. Stars. Like he just gets it and goes. And there's yeah. no like. What is he talking about? How are we get like he He's just crazy. accepts that yeah, and rolls right. with it? Oh, it's so beautiful. Or like um later when they're when he's talking about Milton and they're like at Milton's cottage and Damn and, blockhead. <laughs> and the father is the only one who understands, and then Maddie feels so bad that she thought he was just like being irrational. See, and, I'm yeah. like a l I wanted her to like run back in and be like, guys, yeah. he's not dumb like <laughs> we were dumb. We were the stupid ones. Uh, just can yeah. you imagine the frustration of like lost? And they're like, no. And he's like, mm, lost. But it's that's like, the only like, thing ah! you can say. Like, but yeah. No, you really feel his frustration. It's it's really hard to read. I completely understand. Like, despite the fact that this is my favorite book, I completely understand why people would be like, dear God, I what did I just go through? <laughs> it is stressful. I. What about? Can we talk about the the end and the meeting and his final speech? Oh my God, the drama of it all. Yes. No, we can't. Yeah, we were like, no. <laughs> this podcast isn't for talking about things. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. I mean, yes. I. Um, so one thing that I was thinking about the, the last time I read this book um, was that, like, he really doesn't like to look stupid in front of people, mm-hmm. even, like, early on. Like, we mm-hmm, learned yeah. that he writes left-handed, and he's, like, embarrassed by his, yeah. like, messy, ugly left-handed handwriting. So he won't do it. Like, he he refuses to let people see him write, and, like, he makes Maddie, like, write his equations on the board. Mm-hmm. So, like, he hates that. And so, like, for him, so, so it just adds that, like, extra layer of, like, vulnerability for him to go and do the thing he most doesn't want to do which is try to talk in front of a group Mm -hmm. of people um it's really just that like making himself vulnerable for her really yeah i i've i felt his growth more than i felt maddie's um yeah like i was able to track you know his and we talked about it a little bit earlier when you said she was just like constantly waffling going back and like rehashing in her mind um you know grappling with loving him and then loving her religion and stuff and so um, and I don't think I can I can't blame her for that because like how can you blame someone for literally growing up with like I mean that was just who she was. And so like I can sort of see her, but Christian, it was a lot easier for me to see um his concessions and like his things that he was willing to do. Um well, because his personal growth is essentially yeah. parallel to his like recovery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but also in a way different because his recovery is about trying to gain his power back. Mm-hmm. That's but true. his personal growth is about being willing to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And like all the times where he like whispers under his breath, I love you to Maddie, you know, oh. he like he's he's afraid oh. to put him to put himself out mm-hmm. there like that. Yeah. Well There's and then like, for the end he's just yelling like wife. Yeah. Like yeah. truth. I meant it. I said it and I meant it yeah. when I vowed it. Yeah. Like it wasn't a lie to me. I didn't make it up. Mm. the one that really got me was help me i know Uh, 
he like remembers everything about her like he gets her the pearls and says it's for her hair and the tiara is like the same colors as the dress the beautiful dress that she liked that he didn't pick for her and he just like he remembers all these little details about about everything i really um i really also like how like when they're at chabot castle he's like so shocked and hurt that she doesn't want to stay married because he thinks he's he thinks something like you know i know i'm no prize <laughs> like i'm a disaster but he's like i thought she would she would love chabot castle like i thought she would the castle would would be enough and and so at the end he really has to like he's completely stripped bare and stripped down and saying like you know all i have to offer is my like crappy self like and i have a daughter and it's gonna be awful and you know i like i know you don't want any of this stuff and like this is it this is this is all i am this is all i have to give you and of course like that's what she's wanted the whole time when also the one thing i did write down about the ending and I'm bringing it back to the religion um, because I, again, really love a religious journey. I mm-hmm. I don't know. As a, I'm obviously, I'm not a Quaker. I was like raised Catholic, but in not even close to as like an intense of a setting as that. Yeah. Not even as intense as like some other people who like were raised in religious settings. But I did. I honestly, I really liked the way that hers was so nonlinear because I think that speaks to me much more than just if she had had a very straightforward arc. Um, because as somebody who's like had to unlearn a lot of things from a Mm -hmm. religious and again it was like not even close to what some people have but you know still a religious upbringing that spoke to me very deeply of like going back and forth and kind of waffling and trying to Mm -hmm. do that Um, but throughout I kept noting there would be times when she would refer to him as like I mean obviously she has her like creaturely things but she would refer to him as like of the earth and clay a lot And at the very end, they kiss, and they have, like, their big moment. And part of a quote – and I only wrote down, like, the second half of it, so I don't know how it starts. Um, But it was something – something, the two of them know more and know less than every wild creature that God had made of clay to walk the earth. Which I think is – so because she doesn't want the castle, like you were saying. She doesn't want all of these extra things. But she also doesn't want to be creaturely and of the earth. And so you get this middle point of, like, it's not all of the excessive – creaturely worldly things but they are god's creatures like wild creatures made of clay to walk the earth yeah and i just really like distilling that down yeah there there's another part too in the asylum when she is like undressing him and she's like thinks he's like a hawk you know like he's Mm -hmm. like as you know fearfully and wonderfully made as any of god's creatures yes Um, i think i might have written that one down too there was another one oh there's a part where she's it's one of her, like, she keeps thinking about him and she doesn't want to be thinking about him, so I'm not sure. It's somewhere in the middle. Um, it's after their kiss with the kittens, though. I do know that because the note comes after it. Um, <laughs> but she just, like, keeps coming back to him, and so she's, like, trying to do, you know, like, sit and listen for God's words. She's really trying, and she keeps getting distracted thinking about Christian. And there's a part where it says they weren't God's words. They couldn't be. They were all about um, – there's a, a part that I didn't quite get, but they were all about a man's smile and a kiss and infinity. Mm. that i love the like they can't be god's words they're about a man they can't be only for at right. the end like they're both god's creatures and it's that that like brings them together mm. <laughs> i just like the parallels of her being like you creaturely thing to i also am of clay yeah i eat it up i like that a lot no it's really beautiful Kinville just writes like really beautiful words like really interesting surprising beautiful strings of words 
I think like for me, like my ideal book has like beautiful words and just like a hell of a plot, <laughs> which is like, that's why this is like the perfect book for me because <laughs> it has beautiful words and just like a just wild rollicking plot. She, so she does do that. I have, this is not the only one I've read that I like her religious like explorations that aren't necessarily what you would expect of like, and then they became very godly and what, it, like she really kind of turns it on. I think uh, For My Lady's Heart does something kind of similar with the Yeah, the two evil ones have a lot of religious content. Oh, and I, oh my I think God. that might be the only ones. I don't it know that be. any of the others have. She plays with power, but those two I really, Allegretto's like excommunication and his whole like, I'm going to hell, so I want my son to not be in hell and create something good for him. And then, uh, oh my God, what is his name in For My Lady's Heart? Why am I, bl- Ruck, love of yep. my life. Ruck's whole like... <laughs> Like, I'm married, but I'm also very lustful, but, like, it's sin for me to even think about that. But also, I have meditated on my sins, and that's why I'm good in bed. (laughs) That is truly the most unexpected, when she's like, how did you learn all this stuff? He's like, in confession. She's like, in confession? Yeah, he's like, they kept questioning me in more and more detail, so I was, like, mentally taken No, if you have not read this book, it is we're totally spoiling it. But it's like so shocking because she he thinks she's like this sexually experienced woman and she's she's not actually. Um and so she's like very startled when he like tries to like go down on her. Yeah. She's like, he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I I don't I actually don't know either. Bad, actually. And she's like, where did you learn that stuff? And he's like, in confession. And she's like, what? And they're like, he's like, he's like, is that not what your confessions were like? And she's like, no. <laughs> There's also this scene at the end of that one, which I guess is also a spoiler, but it's not like a big deal plot wise. But like, she won't look in a mirror for that whole book because she's like lived so much deception and like told so many lies that she thinks if she looks in a mirror, she won't be there. Yeah, crying, weeping, growing up. <laughs> um, but so she like makes him hold up a mirror to her and like describe what he sees. And instead of describing her physically, he like talks about her attributes that he loves, which like, I'm already a puddle on the floor. And then when she finally does look at herself, she's like, oh, I'm like not pretty. Like, I'm kind of a, like, plain look. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? And she says something along the lines of, like, you haven't had sex in however many years. Like, any woman would be comely to you, monk man. Like, Monk man. She's like, yeah, you're celibate. Of course you think I'm hot. <laughs> Whereas he, like, saw her one time and has been, like, completely obsessed ever since. Well, so, that one yeah, also, like, the way funny. it blends this, like, earthly temptress with his very saintly wife in his head to the point where they have both blended into this like thing that keeps him going only Mm. to like be very disillusioned when he meets Melanthe and finds out about his wife and they both like separate and become neither of them what he thought they were and he has to like figure out how to motivate himself and keep going when the thing that he has based his life around is not what he thought it was uh not the book we're supposed to be talking about this episode (laughs) but (laughs) I'm here for any and all yeah. can build deep dives. <laughs> Boy, do I have some feelings about it. It's a really good book. I think it's also so, so... she does write nonlinear arcs really well. I think about Midsummer Moon and that heroine also waffles a lot, but I liked it. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting book. Another interesting book that sort of deals with power and especially like consent. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the beginning of that one, he is accidentally ingests an aphrodisiac and they have sex. 
which she like really doesn't know like what's happening Mm -hmm. um but it's it's really quite interesting because like it's very much framed as like neither of them has consented to this Mm -hmm. to this um sexual encounter um and then like the whole rest of the book is them grappling with this sexual encounter that neither of them consented to and neither of them is happy about it's a it's a very interesting book it's not my favorite but it's it's interesting i just thought it was wild like there's like a flying machine there's the hedgehog what i love is that she must have like hedgehog productions or something like if you like look at her copyright like it's owned by like hedgehog entertainment that's her audiobook or like her audiobook thing like like, says hedgehog well i looked at one of her her books too I was like, I have a few, I don't know where they are now because I've reorganized, but like I opened her book and it said Hedgehog and I was like, okay. Okay. So Laura Kinsale, season three of Romance Your TBR, the Kinsale season. Yes. Alexandra, you're you're just going to join in on every episode. We're like, and our Kinsale (laughs) expert. My dream. No, but there's several other Kinsale experts that you should, that you should bring on. Oh, that'll, (laughs) listen, I'm taking notes. Hannah might hate – I, having read more than Hannah has, I'm, like, a little bit – I think she might not be the author for you. That is what yeah, I – Yeah, probably not. They're all pretty stressful, honestly. Yeah. Except for Lessons in French. Lessons in French is the only one that is not stressful. And that's, and that's the one that I didn't enjoy. Oh, I love that one. It's very light. It's just very – it's, like, very funny and I think light that was my – like, I just didn't connect with either it. of the Maybe characters. Maybe that'll be, like, my favorite book. That would be hilarious. It wouldn't me. surprise me. I feel like you no, would read it and be, like, point. vibes. And I would be, like, fair mm-hmm. enough. Like, that's one that I had – Um, Steph, we are completely booked, mm-hmm. who – she read Flowers from the Storm with you, Alexandra, in the in the group. Um, and yeah, she group. loved it. But so we'll chat about, like, the different consoles that I'm reading because she's deciding which one to read next. Um. And I, when she, like, commented because I rated it two stars, I was like, this is one that, like, it didn't work for me, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. not recommend it to some, like, I think it's one that's worth trying because I, I can see why somebody would really like it. Like, it just wasn't yeah, my it, Kinsale. It, it, yeah. <laughs> that's not my Kinsale, no. Uh, it just, like, that wasn't, like, I like her really intense, like, really dramatic plot. Like, I, I want the high intensity, all the drama. Well, that one has drama too, but different kinds of drama. Almost all of them except Lessons in French. So I think you'll be perfect. Please buy the whole rest of the oeuvre. I got it. Well, my first one was Midsummer <laughs> Moon, and I was like, sign me up. This was a wild time. It's a strange book. It was a great audio book, really... though. Oh, yeah. It, Nicholas Bolton. Was, I was going to say, did he narrate that one yeah. too? Yeah. I think he did yeah. like all of I think them. he did all of, all of all the, the ones that. Yeah, because yeah. they're all like so only on Audible. She, she started her own audiobook company um, back in the day when audiobooks were not nearly as common as they are now. Love. And she was very involved in the production and picking Bolton. And uh-huh. then she actually, it's sort of interesting, she had um, like a some kind of like contest or competition where she like selected some books to be recorded by um, her audiobook company. And one of the people she selected was Alexis Hall. Oh. Um, oh. Yeah. Yeah, because he did... Um... Nicholas Bolton did the something yep. fabulous, which is oh, also oh, did he? yeah. I didn't. I, didn't I, to that I one, think he, actually maybe don't. Well, I read. That. I, I read, think that's the case. <laughs> I read Boyfriend Material, and that narrator was great. Like the humor in that book, like the narrator was perfect for it. Now I want um, that's that so interesting. Which one? 
There's definitely at least one Alexis Hall that is narrated by Nicholas Bolton, but I'm trying to think which one it is now. Wow. I don't know. It's not coming to me. I think but, it's because, um, like, I looked up something fabulous, and it's one that, like, I wasn't surprised it was only on Audible, or, like, that's the only place I could find it, because I think it was also published by Montlake, which is their right, publishing. Which is it sure is Nicholas it. Bolton. And so I saw that, yeah, having listened to Midsummer Moon, and I was like, I know I like that narrator. <laughs> That makes me want to listen. Uh, I've already read something mm-hmm. fabulous. I'm a big fan of something fabulous, actually. I need to read but, that. Uh, now I want to listen to it too. I just yes. love that man's voice. I think about it, mm. it like sent Hannah into oblivion. But there's this in Midsummer Moon. <laughs> listening to this audiobook, there's a scene where he does a little voice for the hedgehog, <laughs> just, God, just like yeah. two throwaway lines. <laughs> he's like looking at the hedgehog sitting in the salt cellar on the table, and. and it says in the narration something along the lines of, like, the hedgehog looked back at him with its beady little eyes as if he was saying, that's right, I'm in the salt cellar and I'm bloody pleased about it. But the voice that Nicholas Bolton did for the hedgehog was no. like, that's right, I'm in the salt cellar and I'm bloody pleased about it. <laughs> sent me into oblivion. I was like, this is the funniest thing I've ever heard. I wish the hedgehog was given more lines so I could hear it. <laughs> And I and you know he had to practice that. Like he had to have a specific He was like, like he I knew. know. Like that know. was his With move. His like that was a choice. <laughs> I love In that. our Facebook group, I posted uh, everyone was ooing and eyeing over Nicholas Bolton, obviously. And I posted like a video of Laura Kinzel chit-chatting with Nicholas Bolton and then him doing like a little snippet of a recording of I think maybe Dream Hunter, I forget, mm-hmm. one of the one of the books. Um and everyone was like, Oh my god, he's like very hot. <gasps> So I don't know if if he is, if he is, uh, you know, a broad appeal, but in our Facebook group, at least there were a lot of people were like, we were doing our, our fan cast and for Christian. And some people were like, I don't know, man, I think it's Nicholas Bolton. (laughs) I mean, he's already got the voice. That's an iconic. He's already got the emotion. Mm. Well, cause a lot of times there'll be narrators with hot voices and then you see them and you're like, yeah, I respect I your talent, not but I'm not physically attracted to you. Yeah, I don't want to put a face to their voice, but if they're hot, mm-hmm. I'll take it. Um, as a so- side note, we will link the um, the Facebook group and the show yes. notes if y'all want to join in. I do not use Facebook, so I cannot. I but am in it. Yes, Hannah How are is. You? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I literally I only use Facebook for like romance groups. Like I'm in a bunch of them, right. and uh, then me like too. random out. birthdays. But I'm very bad at remembering birthdays in Facebook. Can't even help me. So it's really just romance stuff. So we will link it if y'all want to join. They read a historical romance. Is it every month? It's only a historical romance. And yeah, it's once a month. We do one book. And we try to kind of mix it up with some newer releases and some kind of old school ones. We're actually doing Lord of Scoundrels. Mm-hmm. Um, ah! And when you're yeah. done, you guys can come back and listen to our episode with Sanjana Bass. Sanjana, I can say words, Basker. <laughs> we had her on to talk about it. And she was wonderful and had so many I things to say. I listened to that episode and it was great. I it really was enjoyed. just vibes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like this where we're like here's just a, here it was a notes. non-linear non-linear discussion <laughs> we're not going through the plot you can't cover the whole plot yeah no not. oh gosh we end up in Whoa. a random like what's his name's house durham in his like rectory oh yeah in his rectory it's like a brief interlude there that's the other like little sort of honeymoon you yeah know? i think that that's sort of like maddie because maddie's like we could just stay here like maybe i could do this there's mm-hmm. a little garden there's a little yeah she's like that's you know, my christian's garden like christian's like we're gonna go to chiffaux castle <laughs> and then they get to the castle and she's like oh you know what i never quite got my answer to is who wrote 
I, and maybe this was answered and I just missed it because admittedly I finished this book at like 3 a.m. Um, who wrote the letter that she thought was from Richard Gill saying that her father said to stay? Durham. That was Durham? I was going to say Durham it was her. It was the okay. friend, right? Because I knew they sort of, that she thought that. You but tell because oh. this is kind of just like my little fun fact about this part of the book. But that he messes up the these and the thou in the letter a bunch of times. Like oh. he misuses the and thou. Um, I like didn't notice is, that. Well, because I, re- I remember the conversation of them like talking about not that. But that's funny that he messed that up. Yeah. And she kind of like thinks of it like a couple times she calls yeah. it like that awkwardly worded letter. And yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you know it wasn't written by Richard Gill's friend. Okay, and then did we confirm he was the one who, like, hired all the guys to, like, yeah, bang on the door? Yeah, okay. guys. I think I missed, like, the confirmation. I knew she suspected it was them. That's but I, like, the worst part about reading an, or listening via an audiobook is, like, you can't, like, search things Yeah, like, I, oh, I knew that she that suspected me. it, but I missed where mm-hmm. it was, like, or maybe it wasn't, and well, it was just implied that, like, oh, she figured it out. Uh, no, she definitely figures it out because then she's, like, really mad at Christian and mm-hmm. she forgives Durham and Fane. Yeah. And he's like, this is so unfair. And, like, I'm a huge Maddie stan. Like, Maddie can, like, almost do no wrong for me. But, like, that's the one part where I'm like, Maddie, Maddie girl. What the okay, hell? but like, I actually Matt, do like, relate. The wrong people. I do relate to the idea of, like, it's because she was already mad at him. Like, she was looking for mm. something to be mad at him about. So true. And I identify with that. Like, even if you're not the one at fault, if you're the one I'm mad at, you're the one I'm going to blame. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I got that, and he was like, "I didn't do it." Like, like I don't understand. Like, I don't why- even know what was going on. Like, come on, come on, Maddie. He's like, I don't know why I'm in trouble, and I'm like, I do. <laughs> I know why you're in trouble. <laughs> oh, I'm like Maddie's <sighs> making points. Uh, <laughs> I really like how Durham and Fame like just developed this very charming relationship with Maddie. They're so cute. You know, the pet right names. There. Yeah, and her just constantly being like, "Thou shouldst not call me that." Yeah. <laughs> I die for you. Yeah, it's like so funny. Like they just feel like such good friends. I don't know. They are my Christian. dream. Like I'm not good at being friends with men generally, and so I would like when I find a significant other, I would really like him to have friends because I, I, I like the male energy. I'm just not like somebody who's mm-hmm. generally friends with men. So I always love in, like, that situation where, like, he comes with these two chaotic friends <laughs> who just love you and they're there all the time and your buddies. That's my dream scenario is to have Durham and Thane. Who also thought he was dead. So they're like, what the hell? Yeah. Also, like, they are truly yeah. such loyal friends. They were like, they we'll are. go to jail. We'll die. He's not going yes. back. Yeah. And and you were talking about, like, signs that Christian is a good guy and, like, the fact that he has these, like, deeply loyal friends. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's definitely, like, a sign that he's a good guy. Oh, right? yes. Like, mm-hmm. you have to be a good person to have, like, such, like, loyal, caring, loving friends. Yeah. I wonder if, like, they gave me the dogs. I was like, oh, my God. Can you, like, imagine? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just broke my heart. Like, your best friend, Ugh. you think your best friend is dead and they give you your best friend's, like, beloved pets? Mm. Devastating. Oof, indeed. Oof, indeed. Well, we have this thing where for all of our old school, um, we learn a lesson. Um, And I was taking notes along during this conversation because I'm more of an observer um, because I'm like learning as like we go. Um, So there were a few that are like non-serious. I didn't know if you had any, but the ones that I took down, (laughs) the ones that I took down, uh, the first lesson was wear pretty dresses and have sex with your sexy husband. That was a direct quote. And I think <laughs> I think that's honestly the takeaway. Um, it might be. There was also, we don't villainize other women sometimes. Um, and then abandoning all of your principles can be very fun. 
those are all direct quotes um all f- oh. would fit in an episode title but okay, wait, my question wait, was wait. were there any others before we get to the lesson and wrap this up i had a comment about the dogs that we have not addressed oh and that is that is they almost like essentially buried christian alive or like if they were gonna i don't know if they were gonna cremate oh, him right. or whatever and the only yes. reason they knew yeah, he was alive was because the, the dogs wouldn't let them near him mm-hmm that I don't have anything interesting to say. I just wanted to point that out because I like lost my mind. Yeah, I'm also yeah. very for some reason that's a fear of mine being buried alive. I don't know mm-hmm. why it wouldn't happen. Um, but I, you know, those like old graveyards where they have the bells on the tombs just in case. That I feel like is gonna be me in the future. Well, I think I'm that was I think that was like mine. in a lot of popular like things growing up. My mom frequently remarks how she's very scared of quicksand. Because in all sure. of the, like, media in her childhood, it was like, you're going to encounter quicksand and you're going sure. to die. You have um, to know not to move when yeah. you fall into quicksand. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, she's like, I'm still scared. Me because that's, that's, that's also my generation, yeah. which makes me think I'm your, your mom. She's like, I'm like, she's like, yeah, like, I have a very real fear of quicksand. And I'm like, because, no, I mean, yeah. there have been, like, houses I mean, I also have things. that fear. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be necessarily <laughs> your generation. I got it, no. too. <laughs> Um, and I just, I Thank think God. of the scene in, um, Scrooged where mm. it's like the third ghost, the ghost of Christmas future or whatever is visiting him and he's seeing himself. Yeah. And then, be, uh, cremated and then he gets locked in the coffin. Yep. So that terror. I think, I think mine would be getting petrified. Mm. There's, um, there's a Scooby-Doo episode with the mummy <laughs> and the mummy like, f- like petrifies all these people asking for his coin. The amount of dreams I had as a kid, like, being petrified and like still having like your senses and like you read like in the medusa like percy jackson whatever like she also obviously petrified people and everything um and just like that real fear of you know having your wherewithal still but you're also just you just can't move and well i mean that explains why this yes. book is so stressful yes because that uh, is, yeah i mean it's experience. <laughs> yes yeah very real. Well, so I think the moral is have your dogs with you, and then you can't be buried alive because they'll stop them. <laughs> Never be separated from your wicked dog. Yes. Who also the one named Devil? All right. I know. I love it so much. I love it uh, so much. Okay. Now we can move on to the lesson. I just had to mm. when we when we, when we brought the dogs up. That was where my brain went because I love them. Hmm. They were good characters. As opposed to cats, who notoriously will eat you if you die. Yeah. I love cats, mm-hmm. but don't make they gotta, they gotta eat. cats. Girls gotta eat. Girls they gotta <laughs> That's the lesson. Girls gotta eat. I mean, why not? You're already dead, right? The cat is practical. Right? If you're if you're truly if you truly love your cat, you want your cat to be fed. Even after your demise. I mean, really, so selfless. <laughs> <laughs> a romance lesson indeed yes <laughs> um i don't have any other lessons i do feel like mm-hmm. my lesson was wear your pretty dresses yeah have sex with your hot husband and abandon your principles your sexy husband yeah okay we I will we will get away. that in the i don't cover. know if that's what Where's laura kinsale was trying to teach us <laughs> i mean but it's what i took <laughs> what is, death of the author like <laughs> That's what I got. <laughs> I mean, it really, she was like, oh, I love these pretty dresses, but I can't. And I was like, yes, you can. Yes, you can. It's okay. Girl. She's like, I just wanted to take me every hour of every day. And I'm like, I would read that. I would read that fan fiction. I, I would like that in detail. 
every every <laughs> I swear to God, it's like every episode where like, and this is how I started writing fan fiction. Like, I know what I want to see next. So next up is Laura Kinsale fan fiction. I have to admit, I've never looked on AO3 to see if there's a Laura Kinsale section, oh which is clearly an error. Guys, I'm on googling my part. right now. I actually oh already have AO3 up on my phone. Um, <laughs> I wish I was kidding. It's open right now. Um, what happens if I just search Laura Kinsale? I'm guessing that's Two found. One of them is definitely incest. Not looking at that. What? The other one isn't relevant. The other one is not. Oh, wait, wait. Okay, so it's. What is happening? Um, so the main couple is Spencer Smith Smith and Brendan Urie. Like, Brendan Urie. But then the tags are alternate universe steampunk, espionage, regency, Napoleonic Wars, hedgehog, romance, first kiss, dirigibles, steam clock. Which makes it, oh my god, they've rewritten Midsummer Moon, but as fanfic for these characters. That's what I'm getting from this summary. So that's the most exciting thing. I'm not going to read it, but wow. (laughs) Thrilling. Um, And the other one is definitely incest based on the medieval hearts duology oh oh it is allegretto and gian what tangled webs we weave which like if you're gonna write fanfic why is that what you went with i don't know yeah but the fact that (laughs) those are the two that pull up on ao3 (laughs) if you look for laura kinsale that's so interesting (laughs) (laughs) she's a discourse generator not the discourse i would expect but you know what it's just all kinds. Not the discourse we anticipated, but perhaps the discourse we... No, not the discourse we needed. No. We didn't need it. That isn't relevant. There's no incest in this book. No. Um, no, absolutely Not zero. even a hint of it. Mm-mm. My relief. <laughs> yeah. And thank God for that. Everlasting. There's some intense dehumanization. There's a moment where I was just emotional about, like, one of the young women in the asylum who's melancholic. And it's because of, oh like, the advanced education, yeah. like, has ruined her female brain. And now mm-hmm. she's suicidal. And it's basically like, oh, depression. I love that part, actually. I You can just feel, like, Kinzel just, like, is furious. She's mm-hmm. just, like, seething with rage about, like, the way women have been treated and mistreated historically. And even, like, to the present day, like, I think, I mean, I'm totally reading this into the book. But, like the way that women are not listened to by medical professionals, right? And their medical concerns and health concerns aren't taken seriously. And you just you can just feel her like fury underlying that that scene. I really love it. Mm. Mm. Maybe the lesson is just fury. Um, rage <laughs> against the Regency machine. Mm. <sighs> the patriarchal machine, if you will. Yep. And and the patriarchy and its associations with healthcare Mm, yes um i mean last notes things that you wanted to talk about that we didn't anything that you're like oh this needs to be on this podcast (laughs) i i think we talked about pretty much everything that i wanted to talk about in my in my multiple pages notes we even got to the dogs all caps the dogs critical we got dogs and kittens yeah which i don't know why the kittens were there except for me to just love everything that was happening where he was like what if i just put kittens all over you and i was like yeah yeah the man can seduce you with kittens with a whistle with a whistle hello with your dad in the room 
Yeah. The power that that has. <laughs> <laughs> when his, like, aunt or whatever walks in on you. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. He's like, stay down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, feelings. Lots of feelings. Hannah, did we convince mm-hmm. you at all? Or are you still no. just like, no. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> no, I mean, I had a, like, I was like looking for perspective on it um but um no i mean i i like to see why you guys love it and so like that was the fascinating part but i knew going in there was like no way that i would ever go back (laughs) like if if a like gray ghastly ghost creature would have showed up into my room on friday and been like hey if i punch you in the face I will be able to speed up time and you won't have to like deal with like five more hours of this. I would have been like, yes, please. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. But speaking of gray gas, like like creatures, I just thought of another thing while we're just adding things on to this already hour and 45 minute podcast. Um, And that is where he goes to, he goes to see if Maddie went to Richard and he, and she didn't. And he assumes that she's going to later though. And Mm -hmm. so his pass or like his closing remark is just, she's afraid of thunderstorms. And then he thinks to himself that also she's afraid of ghosts, but he can figure that out himself. Like, I'm not going to tell him that. I really love that part though. Because like, love Christian, you know, he's kind of like selfish a lot. Like, and he's like, there's a part where she's like, he at least brought her some chocolate. So she knew he wasn't, he didn't, he knew she was more than just like a private and exclusive belonging of his. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's pretty selfish, like a lot of the book, but that's a part where he, it's just totally unselfish. Like there's absolutely nothing for him to be gained and everything to be lost for him telling, to tell that to Richard Gill. But he does it because he thinks Maddie's going to need someone on her side when she's scared. It's very like, it feels very parallel to the like I was afraid she was gonna be cold and I was just care. I was just thinking about that. It's that yeah. same mm-hmm. like he's selfish, but he he's not yeah. all the time. Like he does have he the grows. Thought. Yeah. He grows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well now I'm just gonna oh. cry thinking about the she she's afraid of thunderstorms and I was afraid she would be cold and they wouldn't care. Afraid she'd be cold and they wouldn't care. <sighs> no. Rips my heart out. No, it's fine. Everything is fine. I'm gonna go weep. Um <laughs> No, that's the moral of the story. Everything is fine. I'm gonna go 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 (laughs) weep. Honestly, that's me finishing every Laura Kinsale I've read so far. Yes. Um, Yes, it is. And it's just... Oh, my God. Okay, her first one, Hidden Heart. Have you read Hidden Heart yet? Oh. So it's it's very problematic in a number of ways. Sure. But it is the saddest... It's, like, one of the saddest books I've ever read. It is... It is... Yeah, just be prepared. Oh. Take get some Gatorade before you start. Hydrate. That was me at the end of Seize the Fire. Like it's the most yeah, anticlimactic. Like it's not what you think it's gonna be. It's just devastating. Yeah. It's not a good ending. I love that book, but the ending is very confusing to me. It's just like it just ends. They're it's sobbing and they're miserable. <laughs> they're in a hovel. And at the end. That is literally both of them processing their PTSD. In a hovel. Like that is I mean when I like got to the end and I was like, I'm sorry, what? I mean that's so <laughs> valid. No Which I is hilarious because it's like five hundred plus pages. And you're yeah, like, you couldn't have added just a little bit more. It's a wild book. Right. An epilogue, it is at the something? end of the book though that she adds this book is dedicated to the veterans of the Vietnam War. It Which, is like, moving. changes the entire reading experience 
that is one that I, I recommend if, I mean, obviously, Alexander, you've read it, but like Hannah and listeners, if you haven't read it yet and you plan on it, that's one that I think having that perspective going in of like mm-hmm. this was written post-Vietnam and with that in mind, it very much changed your perspective on – or my perspective on the book because so much of it is about PTSD and war and like the the idealism versus the person who's actually fighting it, et cetera, et cetera. So the end felt very much – in line with like the post-Vietnam America, I think, of this like these devastating consequences for everyone. And like they mm-hmm. were able to find solace and come back together. But for them, part of their HEA is like processing that trauma together. Right. But I just needed like another. Oh no, I agree. I'm with you. Processing. I needed more. <laughs> I feel you. I am 100 percent Hidden Heart is very similar. It's, okay. it's a lot of trauma, a lot of, and it it it's it's extremely sad. Ugh. So yeah, prepare yourself. Good lord, I'll probably eat it up though. I like angstier books than Hannah does. Mm-hmm. I will send you tissues because I won't be partaking in that book. <laughs> like, All right, so we're can, nixing the Lorican sale season. <laughs> you can tell me it's the best <laughs> book you've ever read, and I will run in the opposite direction. And I hate running, but that will make me run. Like I don't. No. <laughs> Versus I'm like, make me yeah. feel. <laughs> yeah. I want to feel every feeling over the course of this book. Oh, mm-hmm. and I did. I sure did feel every feeling in Flowers from the Storm. Yes. And I ate it up. Same. And it's also like quite funny in a lot mm-hmm. of places, which I think it is was like funny. an under, I don't know, you know, you just talk about like the stress and mm-hmm. the drama and the disability and the, you know, the, the dehumanization and the institutionalization, but like, it's actually like also hysterical at points. Yeah. Christian so, is very funny. Man. Yeah. And Durham and Fame. I was going to say, I thought yeah, once the that. friends came back into it, that's when that happened. Like, that's when I registered that. It got much later. Well, because mm-hmm. at that point you have like people on your side and so yeah. like, you yes. can relax more. It's not like us yeah. against mm-hmm. everyone. It's like, okay, we have... There's a bubble mm-hmm. now. There's a support. Well, yeah, because, I mean, when you're in the asylum, I mean, there was there were things that Maddie couldn't help from happening and prevent. And so that was, yeah. I think, the real right. stress was that, like, she can do a lot, but she still can't stop some of this, like, these things happening. But then once you yeah. got out of that and you're like, okay, they're all together, they're they're not going to let him be taken back. Like, it, right. I mean, there was still maybe well, that and little that's, fear, I think when- but – Christian gets funny too he like gains back a lot of his sense of humor and like figures Mm -hmm. out like the ways to make Maddie laugh and there's even a comment where he's like a little Quaker that like she has a terrible sense Mm -hmm. of humor like yeah I do this I do the stupidest things and she laughs um yeah that's another thing he says when he goes to Richard Gill he's like he won't make her laugh but he's better than me like no it's fine I'm in pain um (laughs) Actually, that's the lesson. It's fine. I'm in pain. I'm going to go weep. Um, but I do like – he, like, he gets funnier, at, like, and, mm-hmm. like, comes back into himself. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if, like – yeah, I guess I just have a lot of wonders. Like, if I would have – like, if the asylum stuff would have been, like, recounted, like, in the past and you wouldn't have had to, like, experience it, like, that probably would have been a different book for me. Um, but that's just like personal, like things that I just uh, and again, see. I would have been like, "Why didn't? Why weren't we there?" Yeah. See, I would like, like. Thank God. <laughs> I think that's like, like the coward's way out. <laughs> I'm fine. I want. I have it. never not once said I'm not a coward. I am fully. <laughs> I am okay with being a coward. Happily embracing <laughs> your identity. I want to read it. I, I want Kinsale to write from the perspective no. of someone who has recently suffered a stroke, and I want to be in awe of it. 
I am the cowardly lion. Hear me roar. <laughs> roar. <laughs> and I actually don't want my heart back. Like, I don't want it. Like, keep it, please. I'm good with I'm good with this. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I said we were going to stick to an hour, and now we're at, like, two hours. So <laughs> we, we actually do need to wrap this up. Mm-hmm. This has been an immense pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I am I could not be more thrilled to have discussed my favorite book with you guys. I mean, thank you for coming on. Yes. I feel like you lent so much interesting perspective and insight. Um this and is also, an open invitation. Feel free, we'll wait like when Winnie, when we know when that's coming up, mm-hmm. when like Ne'er Duke well, we'll have you back. Mm-hmm. Chat about your work rather than somebody else's. It'll be great. I'm excited. That sounds fabulous. I would love that. Thank you. Oh, um, I can't wait for your book. Well, your books. The novella and the book. All the Mm -hmm. things. It's fine. And the purple. That's like one of my favorite colors right now. Oh, that hit the spot. I really like this cover. Mm -hmm. It's pretty sexy. Mm -hmm. I love love a sexy book cover. (laughs) I do. I eat it up. Um, Well, this was so lovely. Thank you so much. And um, thank you. I mean, I think we did it. Thank you for having me, guys. We did the we, thing. We, we did do it. We discovered it. all the lessons. We unfortunately didn't convince <laughs> Hannah, but that's okay. Sometimes people have different opinions, and you're entitled to your wrong opinions. Yeah, see, <laughs> I'm okay with – again, I am so okay with that. I I love that for me. She said, I will take my wrong opinions and go and be perfectly happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm that kidding. I'm kidding. She's well, not kidding. I'm only a little bit kidding. In every joke, there's a kernel of truth. <laughs> um, oh. oh, and now we reach the point where we don't know how to end. The end. No. The end. We there you go. We just ended we ended like seize the fire. There is no ending. You just you just <laughs> like stop. wish for a little bit more. <laughs> Said no one ever about this podcast. <laughs> or like they couldn't have wrapped it up a little better. <laughs> And at least no one's crying in a hovel. At least we're we're all crying. Honestly, are we are all not crying in a hovel right now? We're weeping, but we're not in a hovel, so it's fine. Maybe the listeners are crying. In a hovel. Get your hovels. Get your tissues. Get your and <laughs> I don't know. Nestle in for your yes. next Kinsale read. Ooh. All right. <sighs> Stop the recording.